Hello and welcome to First Flight, a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch podcast where we are watching and discussing each episode of Enterprise in succession. First Flight is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. This is Commander Tucker of Enterprise. We've got some information you're going to want to hear. Hi, I'm your co-host, Melanie. And I'm your co-host, Abby. And tonight we are discussing the second episode of Season 1, Fight or Flight. Fight or Flight was written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and directed by Alan Croker. It aired on October 3rd, 2001. But before we begin our discussion, we need to issue a read alert. Tactical alert. All hands to stations. There are potential spoilers ahead. On first flight, we might end up talking about any part of the series at any time. And now, for a summary of the episode, it's time for Abby's Captain's Log. Okay, Abby, let's go. Captain's Star Log Supplemental. After two weeks exploring space and finding their way of working together as a new crew, Enterprise finds a drifting alien ship filled with corpses that have been tampered with. They must choose if they will interfere in what seems like a hostile situation or simply continue on their way. All right, it's time to deploy our subspace transmitters and get into this episode. Abby, what are your thoughts on fight or flight? Well, the first thing I want to start off with is poor Malcolm. All he wants is for everything to work and for his system to be ready to keep everybody safe and to impress his new captain. And it's just one thing after another, just thwarting him and getting in his way. And even when he finds something that he gets to blow up, it doesn't quite work out. And I just think this whole episode, there's so much going on and he's still working behind the scenes because in the end, when it really matters, he's gotten it fixed. He makes it work. And that's such a credit to Malcolm, who can be more of an enigmatic character. So it was really nice to see him get that that little bit of satisfaction at the end, like closing this chapter for him. He, he got those targeting scanners to work. <laughs> You're right. It is nice to see Malcolm get some highlights here. And yeah, I agree. He is behind the scenes working hard throughout the whole thing, trying to get that mechanism working right. Yeah. And I think that's something we see in Malcolm throughout the whole series, but is never the most prominent of his characteristics. But the man is a hard worker and all he wants is to keep his people safe. And that's exactly what somebody in his job should do. So cool that they started that so soon in this season. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He is super, super loyal and very committed to to his duty, for sure. I had a few thoughts about this episode in general. This this is one that I used to feel was a little meh for me, to use a term by Trek Geek Bill Smith. <laughs> but as I rewatched it several times, I actually got a lot more out of it this time and actually found more appreciation for some really great parts of it. I wanted to also say that I can really relate to Hoshi. Off the bat, I just want to say as much as I would love to be beamed up and be part of a Star Trek crew, which I would, and I would be super into it and I still want to do it. And that's my dream. At the same time, knowing myself, I would be a lot like Hoshi. I would be the person standing next to that warp reactor in engineering saying, you know, is it safe to stand close to this thing? 
that is so me. <laughs> so I can really relate to the journey, you know, and the analogy that they're showing in this episode with her, with Sluggo and all that. I, I can relate to that. And I think there was a lot of good character development going on in this episode. It's so interesting to me to see the beginning of series and how you can see them actively trying to establish character definition. Agreed. Like, you know, this this um, scene with Phlox and Trip in the mess hall, mm -hmm. which is so endearing, I think. I love that Both scene. Oh, it's great. And you can see how comfortable they are. And they do. They actually have a few mess hall scenes throughout the series, those late night gatherings in yep. the galley. But I love seeing how you can tell John Billingsley is trying to establish character definitions. And it's interesting for me to see which ones they stick with throughout the series and what they drop and tone down later. Agreed. But you can see it happening right here. And I just love this conversation that they're having. I, I took notes that said pretty much the same thing. I loved how we get to see Flox's enthusiasm and how that never dies throughout the whole series. He's always got that enthusiasm and that curiosity and that this, all those sensory things. He's very much the one who smells and tastes and touches and all that. That's very Denobulan. And mm -hmm. it's really neat to see that. And then to also see how he and Hoshi are really building their relationship, because that's an interesting one that I like throughout the whole series too. And it's not just because she loves the animals. They, they have a bond there. And I think it starts from this this episode when he's almost using reverse psychology on her and being a counselor and when he's saying, well, maybe, you know, you should go back to teaching. And I think he knows deep down that she's not going to. And I think she might not even know it, but I think she knows that she really wants to, to stay and try to. And it's interesting to see the dynamics of the two of them, just how you can tell that there's already that trust there and that is something that they, they keep throughout the whole thing. And I just, I love Hoshi's arc as a whole. And I feel like she gains so much confidence. I mean, from this episode to where she's ready to sacrifice herself on the Zindi weapon. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a huge amount of growth. But there's also so much growth in Flax. You see him here with this boundless enthusiasm and all this. And as we go on, especially once we get into season three and things get really intense in life and death, he still has all that, but there's another layer of doing what must be done that you see added onto it. And those relationships all deepen because of it. So what a neat building block to put in episode two. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. He and Hoshi have so many great sick bay scenes together yes. throughout the series. And it does start right here. There's definitely a bond building. She feels comfortable with him. And I, I really appreciate that also. Yeah. And I have to say, I love the part at the end where Hoshi digs down deep and pulls out that confidence and just talks to the alien captain like she her voice quality where you can hear that that desperation and that frustration and that anxiety all behind those words that that would be me on the ship too going oh my god I just don't want to die please let this work and I think that that comes through and she even ignores her crewmates to continue this alien conversation without filling them in on what's going on and that is that is that first powerful step for Hoshi that I really think I would have loved to have had more seasons, but I think the four that we got with her, it really shows such a good path. 
Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. And, you know, I have to say, having rewatched this episode several times for our podcast where I hadn't seen it in a while, that scene where she does speak with the alien at the end, I got I got choked up. I mean, it is a very powerful scene and you're just rooting for her. You're like fist pumping. It's amazing. And at the end, if you look really closely, you can see Travis behind her smiling like at her. He's got this look on his face that, you know, adorable and supportive and heartwarming. And I... I love the two of their their yes. friendship together, which they haven't explored quite yet. But you can see him cheering her on with his with his eyes, and I I loved that. That was that's a great scene. Well, you have to figure that there are so many people in Starfleet. There's got to be a lot more Hoshis. I mean, we see it in other series. I'm thinking like Good Shepherd and Voyager, where you see the people mm-hmm. who don't quite. They're, they're not quite the exemplary officer that we're normally used to seeing, but they're much more like you and I. They're normal people. So there's got to be just hundreds of thousands of Hoshis out there who are, you know, faking it till they make it or deciding, <laughs> is this for me or do I want to go back and teach? And that's that's nice to see, because as much as I would love to say, oh, yeah, I totally captured a starship. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> so it's great <laughs> right. to see that right. representation in there, too. Definitely. It's super relatable and it shows, you know, variety of different people, different learning styles, different actions. It's very, very cool. I wanted to talk a little bit about Archer and his mm-hmm. decisions in this episode and to Paul. I'd like to say that to Paul makes some really valid points in he this does. episode and you really see Archer's greenness here as a captain. I'm not saying he's not competent. He's fantastic and I adore him, but you definitely see him, you know, experiencing some newness here where he has to make some hard decisions and they may not always be the accurate ones. He's doing his best and he's awesome. But to Paul makes some really, really valid points when she says, you know, we haven't tried everything yet and there are other things we can do and this may not be the safest thing to do. And that's why I find it so interesting to watch Archer grappling with his decisions and his instincts as a new captain, you know, dealing with some of these moral questions while also weighing the input of his first officer to Paul, who he generally does not think along the same lines as. Like when he gets back from the alien ship and T'Pol says to him, well, now you may be putting your own crew in danger. And you can see him weighing that and letting it sink in. And ultimately, you know, causing him to make the decision to leave the premises, trying to figure all this out while dealing with an unknown enemy species. And while we're on that subject, I've always thought it was interesting in this episode that we never really find out anything about this bad guy species. Like Mm -hmm, we find mm -hmm. out about the, the people who are being experimented on who ultimately come and rescue them. We never find out about the bad guys except for the fact that they might want, you know, our lymphatic fluids. So right. it's, it's interesting that they kind of stay a mystery out there because obviously they're they're a bit intense. We might not want to run into them unprepared next time. So I always thought that was that an interesting true. choice. Yep, I agree. I agree. Coming back to what you said about Archer, I, I agree. That first scene where you see him doing his captain's log and he keeps pausing and talking to Porthos and trying to like worry it out out loud but still be official and sound like he knows exactly what he's doing in his log Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is so what people's brains really are and you know I it's nice that they have Porthos for all the Porthosiness but 
that's a cool storytelling device because he can talk out loud to the dog and do all this plot exposition and <laughs> internal dialogue out loud because he's talking to Porthos. So smart on the writers right there. And it's the first time we see Porthos getting his uh, sneaky little bits of cheddar, which just warms my heart in a totally different way. <laughs> That is so true. You know, I hadn't thought about that. The way he's talking to Porthos is a great way to have some of that exposition and and get to see adorable Porthos at the same time. It's a win-win. It is. (laughs) I'm wondering that as the shuttle is docking, could they not have fired their phasers to help Enterprise? I mean, I, I don't know, perhaps the docking procedure stops phasers or it would have been more dangerous or ignited oxygen or something. But I'm sitting there going, oh, that takes a really long time to pull that shuttle up. And they're just, you know, space battle all around them. You just shoot <laughs> off to the side. Get those guys at least one little thing. We know the targeting scanners have been out the whole episode. Poor Malcolm. <laughs> You're right. I hadn't thought of that. That's so true. Here's a little detail I noticed about kind of that scene and the one immediately after when they get in the ship is the little choices that the actors make when they get back onto Enterprise are so in character. Like they're trying to strip off their spacesuits. Like Trip just gets his down to his waist before he gets to engineering and then starts working, like still half in his away mission outfit. Archer's taking the stairs two at a time on the way up. Like these are really actors who are making choices like they are in a life and death situation. And it's little things like that that just make the intensity amp up in a way that it wouldn't if they didn't do all those nonverbal things. Yeah, you're right. It it is very nuanced. I didn't notice that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and look at that. The the little nuances really do add a lot to the characterization and, and the drama unfolding. Definitely. One of the things that I love most about this episode, because I find it so fascinating, is the whole the way the UT works. Mm-hmm. The way that Hoshi is trying to connect the languages to communicate the the science and technical aspect of that, which I'm not 100% sure how it works, but I find it really super interesting. And I think they did a good job in this episode showing the process. I agree. And that's one of the things that I always like about Enterprise in general is that this is the first time that we're seeing a lot of these devices that people just take for granted later on. I mean, the Universal Translator, Um, the transporter, all different types of phasers, all of these things are brand new to them. So they are still working out quirks and they're not something that is, you know, it hasn't had 16 upgrades so that it's working all the time. They're rudimentary. And that's, that's a neat thing to see because I mean, we've been around enough technology now, which is nowhere close to any of this, but we even see, I mean, just think about how cell phones have evolved in the past five years let alone mm-hmm. since their inception. It's it's neat to see those first kind of building blocks of the technology that will come to be just a normal day-to-day thing, you know, down the road in other series. So I think it was cool that the the writers and the, the show worked backwards to some of those. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's really, really interesting. I, you know, I definitely feel that obviously Hoshi is the main part of this story. And while I feel like the analogy with the slug is a little on the nose. I do appreciate the story and it is, you know, really satisfying at the end that she's feeling so much more confident like you described. Well, the nice thing I think is that Sluggo and Hoshi's paths do diverge at the end. You have Sluggo who gets to go back where she's more suited 
And uh, Hoshi gets to stay on and kind of continue the adventure. And while it is a bit of hammering home the point, it's nice to see it. It's got that feel-good ending that you kind of want this early in a series. Well, we've arrived at the point of our podcast that we like to call Porthos's Pick, which is our favorite part of the episode. Abby, what's your favorite part of Fight or Flight? Well, I'm glad that dog barked because I want to talk about the scene in the captain's mess where Archer and T'Pol and Trip are discussing how they left the ship adrift. And I, I hate to say that I enjoyed watching Archer struggle, but I enjoyed watching Archer struggle with this moral quandary out loud and both of them offering perspectives and him kind of doing a 180 and coming back around to having to go back and, and help those aliens and know what happened because it's so human. And it's the second time in this episode we've seen his internal struggles out loud and heard him making his point and his decision-making process. And that is just neat to see because it is the very beginning for him as a captain, for, you know, Starfleet being out there with a Warp 5 ship, and to run into all these issues, which will ultimately result in, we know, the Federation and the Prime Directive and all these really big things. These are those crumbs that are starting to add up to what we know is coming down the line. And I just liked seeing good people come around to decisions that they can live with. And he didn't know that it was going to turn out right. And he could have, you know, just been dooming them all to, to the same alien experiments, but he knew he wouldn't be okay with himself. They didn't go back. And hearing him justify that to, to Paul and Tripp is such a neat and rare gem in a TV show. Yeah, that's a great choice. That's a very intense scene, and the stakes are so high. I, I think that's that's a really outstanding scene. It's nice because last episode, we saw him having to fight and having to show that, that tough, no-win situation back against the wall thing. But now, when he has the time to think about it, and he has a choice, he makes this one. And that, that is so telling of his character. Yeah, definitely. My favorite part of the episode is a little, little lighter. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm glad you chose that because that needed to be said. My backup was Hoshi closing the window in the shallow pod during the battle. See, that would be me again. Like yep. I very much yep. identify with Hoshi and going, nope, don't want to see it. And again, that was another nuance that they threw in there that was really cool, quick and subtle, but exactly. meaningful. My favorite part is Archer doing his captain's log and Porthos excitedly running around the bed. I just couldn't resist choosing this because I love Porthos so much. And it's just great to see the two of them in his quarters. And then, like you said, giving him the cheddar cheese. So I, I picked Porthos for my Porthos's pick this time. Perfect. And again, what a great way to show another layer of Jonathan Archer is by having him have a pet who's an established relationship for him and to see that nurturing side of him it's it's a lot of character development in just the premiere in this episode most definitely on the first flight podcast we like to share a bit of trivia with you about the episode Abby what can you tell us about fight or flight well this is a really fun one this is the first time that we see or should I say here the squeak found in Archer's ready room floor that annoys him so much. It keeps popping up here and there in episodes until it's repaired by the automated repair station a year later in the episode Dead Stop. 
Oh, yeah, you're right. I, it was introduced here, and I like that they, they keep that continuity piece. And I'm a huge fan of Dead Stop. I love that episode. Yeah, it'll be a good one when we get there. Abby, did they ever tell us what that squeak was caused by? I don't think so. I mean, they talk about it a lot while it's squeaking, and then Archer definitely mentions it when it's not there anymore. But I don't think we ever... Uh, Figured out exactly what it was. It's a mystery. Interesting. In the deck plating. As long as it's not a ghost in a candle, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. If anyone listening has any theories about the squeak, let us know. My trivia is that the aliens we meet in this episode are called the Axanar, and it reminded me of Lord Garth from Whom Gods Destroy from the original series who led the Battle of Axanar. And I thought that was very interesting. So, you are correct. That is fun. Transfer of data is complete. And now it's time for our Vulcan's verdict. On a scale of 1 to 10 grapplers, how do you rate this episode, Abby? Well, after watching it a few times, I began to come to think of it as like the second chapter of a very long novel. And so this would be the chapter where we need the problems of the beginnings of the plot dropped. We need the character building. We need those early seeds. And that helped me view it more as like a bridge of what would come next for our crew. And while it was not as amazing as our premiere episode, it was still pretty solid. So I gave it a six of 10 grapplers. How about you? Yeah, I'm thinking along the same lines. It did come down a bit from Broken Bow, and while the analogy is somewhat on the nose, at the same time, it's still an episode that, as I've mentioned, I've really grown to like over time. I really like the Hoshi arc, the exploration of Archer's moral dilemma, the creepy alien body horror, and they did some really good tension building at the end there with the aliens drilling into the hull of the Enterprise. It's pretty solid. So I actually ended up giving it a six as well. And it looks like we matched again this week. Woo-hoo! And if our listeners would like to continue the discussion, how do they reach you, Abby? The best place to get me is on Twitter. And I'm Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. And if you want to reach me, I'm at ShuttlePod2 on Twitter, ShuttlePodTWO. And you can reach our podcast on Twitter at FirstFlightPod. Thank you for sharing this time with us. We hope you'll join us next time when we will discuss Season 1, Episode 3, Strange New World. And as always, we leave you with this quote from Captain Jonathan Archer. The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us, woven into the threads that bind us, all of us, to each other.